0: It was the year 1505, and a 21-year-old law student had recently attended the funerals of two of his close friends. The death of uh, one friend, followed quickly by the death of another, gave this young law student a terrible, foreboding sense of his own mortality. And on this particular day, he was walking some six miles from home when a massive thunderstorm suddenly overtook him, and the ferocity of that storm was so great that he feared for his very life. When suddenly, as he was trying to hurry his way home, a, a bolt of lightning came from the sky and struck the ground very close by him, and he, he cried out these words, Help me, Saint Anne, I will become a monk Now, why in the world did he cry out to St. Anne? Well, because he was a faithful Roman Catholic and he knew who St. Anne was in the Roman Catholic tradition. She was the uh, patron saint of copper miners. And his dad happened to be a copper miner. And so it was not uncommon for him to pray to St. Anne for help. Well, this law student was so afraid of his experience by which he nearly died and he was afraid even more so of having to stand before a holy god that he took that outburst quite seriously he went back to his college and he although he was the best college student there the best law student there he sold all of his law books and he became a catholic monk so this former young law student by the name of Martin Luther, he became very sincere, very dedicated in his monasticism. As a uh, monk, he awoke at 3 a.m. every morning and spent hours in prayer every day. He fasted frequently, so frequently in fact, that later in life he attributed his intestinal issues to his frequent fasting as a young monk. He spent uh, endless hours making ardent confessions to his monk superior, to the point that his uh, monk superior told him in the confessional booth, man, you have got to let these things go. But he was so disturbed by the weight of his own sin, and he was Disturbed because he wanted to experience Jesus Christ as Savior and Comforter. But instead, because of the weight of his sin, because he knew that God was a holy God, and he had this foreboding mortality, this this fear of death, Christ was to him what he said, the jailer and the hangman of my poor soul. Fast forward five years, it's 1510, and he walked to Rome 800 miles on official business with the Roman Catholic Church. And during that visit to Rome, he came across some stairs known in Latin as the Scala Sancta, the holy stairs. And you see a picture of these behind me, they still exist to this day. And now, according to Roman Catholic legend, these were the very marble stairs that Jesus climbed on his way to trial before Pontius Pilate. And the claim is that many centuries before, these stairs were transported from Jerusalem to where they exist now in Rome. And in that day, in, Roman, in um, Martin Luther's day, and even today, it is believed by many Roman Catholics that if a pilgrim to Rome Climbs all 28 steps on his knees, stopping on each step in order to say a prayer that a relative of that pilgrim would have his or her time of suffering in the hereafter cut short. And so, wanting to gain the release from purgatory of his grandfather, Lindemann Luther. Martin Luther, the obedient monk, dutifully kneeled his way up the Scala Sancta. But as he was climbing those stairs on his knees, these words from Scripture rang out loudly in his heart. The just shall live by faith. These words were born out of a study of God's word, but they became alive to him in his heart as he climbed the Scala Sancta. And these words provided for him a clear distinction between two ways, two very different ways of trying to get oneself right with God. These two ways became to Luther two words. He, in fact, he called them The two words. And these two words summarize the whole of the Bible. These two words, both of which are gifts from God, are given to us for very two different purposes. And the two words are law and gospel. Now, what is the law of God? Well, the law of God is... Uh, summarized in the Ten Commandments. You know, thou shalt not do this, and thou shalt not do that, and thou shalt not do the other thing. The Ten Commandments summarizes the very law of God. and the Ten Commandments, the law of God reflects God's holy nature. It reflects His righteousness. And the law of God shows us what God requires of us. These are the things which God requires. It is His law. And because... We cannot perfectly do those things that God requires of us. The law of God has this purpose. It shows us that we are sinners. It reveals to us our sin. The law says this is what you must accomplish. But on the other hand, the Bible speaks of the gospel. The word gospel simply means good news. So what is the gospel of God? Well, the gospel of God is a free gift. It's a free gift that you and I can receive in Christ Jesus. The law of God also reflects God's nature. Excuse me, the gospel of God also reflects God's nature. It reflects His merciful and loving nature. The gospel shows us what Jesus Christ has done for us. The gospel says believe. In the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. And so here's the question How do we, sinners, get right with God who is holy? How do we that are unrighteous get right with a holy God? How do we, the ones who should be the recipients of God's wrath, instead receive God's mercy? Well, it is one of these two options. It is either the law. And if we are to strive to be right with God through the law, we might use certain words like we we surrender to God. We yield to God. We submit ourselves to God. We commit ourselves to God. These are the things that we must do if we are to try to relate to God through the law. On the other hand, if we are to relate to God through the gospel, through the good news, we might use different words. We might say that we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We receive what Jesus Christ has done. We could even say that we rest in what Jesus Christ has done. Now, God requires both of these. God requires us to be obedient to His law, and God requires us to receive the gospel. You see, both the law and the gospel are good because they reflect God's nature. They're both essential and that God requires them of us. They both reflect God's nature. But there is a fundamental difference between the list of the commands at the bottom and the list of commands at the top. The focus of the law is on you. You must surrender you must yield, you must submit, you must commit. And to be fair, to be uh, honest with what Scripture says, Scripture requires all of those things of us. But I want you to notice that the focus of the gospel is on God. It is God in whom we believe and we trust and we receive and we rest. You see only one of these two options if you are not yet a believer can make you right with god so let's see what might happen if you try to get right with god by keeping the law by trying to uphold his standards as revealed in the law look at everything you must do you must surrender you must yield you must submit you must commit. And we might even simply say, you must obey. And here's the problem. If you are going to stand before a holy God who is perfect, then you must do each of these things perfectly. Your surrender must be perfect. Your yielding must be perfect. Your submission must be must be perfect, and your, commi- your commitment must be perfect. And since the focus is on you for these ways in order to relate to God through the law, let me ask you a simple question. Do you meet the standard of perfect devotion to God? Does anyone in this room honestly believe that they sincerely meet the standard of perfect devotion devotion to God? The answer is no. You do not meet that standard, and neither do I. Again, the Bible tells us that we must do those things, but first we must get right with God through the gospel. The only way for a sinner to get right with God is through the good news of Jesus Christ. You see, you can believe in what God did through Jesus Christ. You can trust what God did through Christ and that it is enough. You can receive into your life what God did through Christ. And you can rest in what God did through Christ. You see, the issue is simply this. It's not how much faith you have. It's not how perfect your faith is, but it's rather who your faith is in. Even if your faith is a little, even if your faith is imperfect, it is enough. Why? You see, when you're small, imperfect, sometimes doubting, sometimes wandering faith, when that faith is in Christ, it is enough because Jesus is the one who kept God's law. He kept God's law for our sake. Jesus is the one who kept God's law perfectly. He kept God's law entirely. He kept God's law exactly. He kept God's law in a way that you and I cannot keep God's law. And as a result, as a result the righteousness of Jesus Christ, when we have faith, in him, when we believe in the good news of the gospel, his righteousness is credited to our account. How? By faith. Faith in what? In the gospel, in the story, in the good news of what Jesus has done. And as Martin Luther discovered in his heart, it can become true of you the just shall live by faith. Does anyone here have a faith that is imperfect? Every single one of us that has faith has to admit that it is imperfect. But your faith does not have to be perfect. And here's why. Your salvation is not based on the perfection of your faith. A little faith in the right person is enough. An imperfect faith in a perfect person is enough. A faulty faith in a sinless Savior is enough. A weak faith in a mighty Lord, it is enough. You see, the foundation or the ground of your faith is in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Not in the strength of your faith, but it is in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And it is enough. I want you to turn in your Bible to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 19. We're going to read a brief story. It's a story that we sometimes misunderstand because we think it's a story about money. And it's not a story about money. It's the story of the rich young ruler. And the story of the rich young ruler is not a story about how rich he was. It's not that much of a story about money at all. Money was the issue. Money was his hang-up. But his hang-up could have been relationships. His hang-up could have been bad habits. His hang-up could have been anything. His happened to be money. But the real issue at hand is this distinction between the law and the gospel. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 16, here's what we read. And behold, someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into life... Keep the commandments. Then he said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these things I have kept. What am I still lacking? Jesus said to him, If you wish to be complete... Go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were very astonished, and they said, Then who can be saved? And looking at them, Jesus said to them, With people, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Then Peter answered and said to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, that you who have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or farms, for my name's sake will receive 100 times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. This story is not about money. It's not about the man's wealth. This is a story about law and gospel. Let me ask you a question now that we've read this story. Did Jesus give the rich young ruler the law Or did he give the rich young ruler the gospel? The answer might surprise you. Look at the first two verses of this story again. In verses 16 and 17, we read, And behold, someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said to him, why are you asking me about what is good? There's only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. Jesus did not give the man the gospel. Jesus did not tell the man what God was about to do through him. Jesus gave the man the law. He said, this is what you must do. Do You might wonder, well, why? I mean, why didn't Jesus give the man the gospel? I mean, why, why did Jesus tell the man to obey God's law if obeying God's law is impossible? Here's why. The man wasn't ready. This man thought he could please God by being good enough. He thought he could please God by keeping the law. Look at the question that he asked Jesus. He said, What good thing shall I do? That's the wrong question. And so Jesus had to expose the flaws in this man's thinking to make this guy realize that it's impossible. Jesus had to put holes in this guy's boat as it were, so that it might sink. And then he might cry out for mercy. He might cry out for forgiveness. And so Jesus answered the question the man asked. If you want to have eternal life based on what you do, then you must do all of the law, including loving people more than possession." The man asked about the law, Jesus gave him the law. But had that man realized that salvation by keeping God's rules, salvation by keeping the law was impossible, and that he needed instead forgiveness and mercy, and had he asked Jesus to do for him what he could not do for himself, then Jesus would have given the man the gospel. You know, today, I believe that there are people here who've been trying to get right with God through the law instead of the gospel. They've been trying to please God by being good enough, when in reality, you're not good enough. Maybe you've been worried about having to stand before God someday. Maybe you've been worried that Jesus might say to you, why do you call me Lord and do not do what I say? Maybe you've been worried that on the day of judgment, Jesus might say to you, get away from me. I never knew you. Maybe you wonder, am I obeying God enough? Am I yielding to God enough? Do I surrender to God enough? I mean, what if I'm like this rich young ruler? What if I'm deceived? What if my faith is false? Listen, if you're asking those questions, then you're thinking on the basis of the law, not the gospel. Your focus is on you. Am I good enough? Have I done enough? Am I obedient enough? Do I yield enough? The focus is entirely on you. And I have to tell you that the only person that Jesus will ever say, get away from me, I never knew you, is the person who refuses to believe in him. If you have been striving to through your own efforts, through your own righteousness, through your own religiousness, to become right with God, Jesus does not know you. When it comes to law and gospel, you can only choose one. There's only one of the two that you can strive to get right before God. You have to choose one of the two, in order to be right with God, in order to be forgiven of your sins, in order to have eternal life. And the question for you today is simply this, which one are you going to choose? The law of God says, do this, and you can get right with God. But the gospel shouts, it is done. Which one will you choose? The path where you have to do, or will you trust in what Christ has done?